What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. So Acts 12. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, that's John's brother, not Jesus' brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter, which that, that's so awkward to me. Herod's like, well, that went over great. Who else can we kill, right? That's not, not exactly me stepping up to the plate being like, I'm a Christian, right? Uh, this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Okay, math. I teach sixth grade, so are you ready? What is four times four? Good job, you guys. Uh, and how many people is Peter? I just want to point out really quickly. So... The enemy, which in this case, the enemy is using King Herod, right? The enemy looked at Peter and what he was doing in his life, the life that he was living, and the people that he was changing and convincing that Jesus is the real deal, that this good news of God is actually worth knowing. And he said, you know what? We can't just have a regular stash of soldiers around this guy. He, he chose to outnumber him 16 to 1. So that tells us if we want to look at a life worth following, Peter might be where it's at. Not everything. He's got some mess, but, you know, the good stuff. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. And uh, verse 5 says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. You guys, if you haven't been following along or if you're new and you haven't uh, studied Acts before, or even if you have, go back over our uh, this series that a whole team of people have been preaching on. Uh, you know, we're only in 12, but we've been at this for a little while, but there's so much stuff in here that actually tells us as Christians, as Jesus followers, how we are actually supposed to live our lives. And so this is what the church was doing. What does it say that they were doing? Praying. While Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly for him. And we do, probably each of us could probably raise our hands and say, yeah, I know somebody in prison or so-and-so's family member is in prison or whatever. And we should be praying, you know, filling in for those guys too, praying earnestly for their release, for their rehabilitation, whatever they need. But that isn't the only people we're called to pray for. I mean, right now, Pastor Craig just told us, we've got people out in the world right now on behalf of Convo. They've taken our heart of Convo into these other places of the world. And so as a church, if you don't know how you can support them, it's right here in verse five. We get to pray earnestly that every message that they, every time they wake up, the message that they bring is not about them, that it's about God. So that, scripture says this, so that the people know that he is God. That's our whole role. We pray for everybody who's out there saying yes and doing something. We get to support them in that way. Sometimes it's our turn to stand up and go out. Sometimes our go out is just going home and being part of that family, like we're supposed to be part of that family. But we are called as a church to actually pray earnestly. So don't let that, I don't want to skim over that verse. All right, we're in chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. 
fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. Okay, so side note. I'm a little sister. I have three older brothers. And this is um, this next verse. I imagine, I imagine the angel kind of treating Peter like a brother would. And I'll, I'll, I'll act it out in a second. Be ready. He says, it says, the angel struck him on the side to wake him up. And he said, quick, get up. And I imagine it like this. He's all, get up. <laughs> That's like, you know, like if your mom is like, go wake up your brother for school. Or if you are a parent and you've had to wake up a teenager for school, you're like, get up. You know, have you ever guys have been in that situation? And then here's what I love. It says, then the angel told him, it, sorry, it says the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals, and he did. And then he says, now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. I love that he actually had to tell him every single piece of clothing to put on. Like, Peter, come on, put on your shoes. You're like, get some heat under it, man. Let's go and do this thing right now, right? So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't, he didn't realize it was actually happening. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Verse 11, Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. I love how shocked he is. All this crazy is happening. And he's like, oh my goodness, it's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the, what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Then when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door and the gate and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And here's what I love about Rhoda. This little girl is like the most little sistery sister that you could possibly have, because look what she does. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. And you know, like she, it wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, let me help you out. It was like, you guys, I'm like frantic and I don't know what to do. She's so excited, right? And, and so, and here's what I love too, is that so these guys are praying earnestly, right? Verse five, they're praying earnestly. And here's what they say. You're out of your mind, they said. When, when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. So you guys, this church is in this room, right? They are being the church. They're earnestly praying. And they're just like stymied when God actually does what, he, what they are asking him to do. I don't want to be those people. I don't want to be so shocked every time God does something great. But honestly, this is, I'm like, my mind is blown. I'm like, he did it again. What in the world is happening? God is really who he says he is. That is so wild. And so they don't, they don't necessarily think that she's lying. They just think that she's crazy. It can't possibly be that God has done what we've asked. And then they think, oh, he must be dead because they're like, oh, well, it's just this angel. It can't possibly be actual, Peter. That would be, that would be too wild. But the amazing thing is, is that God works in that too wild, right? I mean, I love that. Meanwhile, this is verse 16, Peter continued knocking. And that's how I imagine it. He's like, what, the, what are we doing right now? What in the world? Hello? When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the, the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. So 
I mean, man, all Peter did actually, if we look through that, what did Peter even do? I mean, he, he was living a life that God had called him to. He was going out and he was spreading the good news. He was just sharing his testimony over and over. And then he gets to the church and he shares his testimony, which I think is wild. And, and he could look back on all of that and he could have chosen to hide out in that house. You know, Herod can't find him. He doesn't know what's going on. He could have chosen to hide out, and that, that isn't actually what happens. Definitely read his, his story. Most of you know that I'm married to the captain. He's a fire captain, Mike Brewer, and uh, we've got five kiddos, and we've got one teeny tiny brand new grandson who we like to call Baby Heathcliff. Um, he's, our, he's our little, he's like our favorite candy bar, and um, you know, Heath bar, get it? Um, but we've been raising kids for a really long time. I actually just figured out we've been raising kids for a quarter of a century, which makes me feel incredibly old. However, we are celebrating our 26th wedding anniversary this week, and I'm super excited about that. Thank you. But can I just tell you that all of it is weird? Like I, I, It's wild that we got to this point because so many times I look back at how I'm contributing to our relationship or even... Uh, just what we've been through. And I think, man, this is just, this is crazy. And it, the whole time has been challenging, but in sometimes good ways. You know, sometimes a challenge leads to something great, but the whole thing has been weird. A lot of it has been fun. All of it's been hard um, in different ways, you know, different seasons. But the whole thing overall, like if I was going to describe it, it's just weird. Like raising kids is super weird. You're literally teaching humans how to do everything. Holding a spoon, I mean, that's not normal if you've ever sat with some teenagers and had a meal with them. But like everything, you're teaching them how to use a tissue, how to pick up the tissue from beside the trash can and put it into the trash can. Like you're teaching them crazy things. And there's, a, there's this point that we get to in our lives where I think, um, as we reflect back, I think the weirdest parts are my favorite parts. And one of them was, um, my kids do this thing, when, especially when they were really small. My daughter, when she was about two or three years old, she, she was sitting there, and she had gotten hurt or something, and she was sad. And so I, you know, I comforted her, and, um, and she's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. And so she went back to watching Blue's Clues, but she, she was totally like this. She's all, and I was all, and she's just sitting there watching. Like her whole face is totally fine, except for this one little part of her mouth. And she says, and I was all, Izzy. And she goes, what? And I said, what are you doing? Why are you still making that noise? And she's all, I don't know. And then she just went back to watching her show. And I'm like, okay. And so she didn't realize actually that she was even still crying like a crazy person. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I, I seriously think we still do this sometimes. And it, it's, it was such a good analogy. When I was reading through this, uh, this chapter, I was kind of giggly to myself because I've been studying the Old Testament at the same time, and we're going to read in, in Exodus in just a second. But I was like, man, how many times do we do that same thing? And I think it's because we don't actually remember what we are capable of. And so we've got these two sides of our mouth going at once. We don't, we don't remember because we forget who lives inside of us. We forget the power that we have inside of us to whom we belong. We forget why God made us. We forget who God says we are. And we walk in this like half confidence where we're, you know, and then we don't even realize we're doing it. And we've got this, hold on, my notes are out of order. Okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. We get stuck in this old understanding. It's okay, I'm okay. <laughs> um, we get stuck in this old understanding of who we are. And so what we do is we, we've, we create a backup plan. And 
as long as we stay confused on our actual situation, because we forget whose we are, then the devil has space to move. And as long as we continue thinking that way, what the devil says to us is, I don't actually have to pay attention to them. They are not the kind of people who need to be outnumbered 16 to 1. That's what, he, that's what he's looking at us and saying. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't like it when people say stuff like that about me. I actually am like, oh, really? Challenge accepted, sir. I call him sir out of sarcasm. But. And I just think, man, that's not going to be true of me. I want my life to matter. I have a grandson. I've got five babies. They're not babies. They're actually all very tall. But I, you know, I've got, I've got, my kids are getting to the age where pretty soon they're going to be getting married and they're going to be pouring into to other people and raising families and creating a ripple effect that I, I actually want to be a part of that. I don't want them to have to go someplace else to find that. I want to be the one that when my grandson is old enough, he says, you know what, I watch, he calls me Mamere. He doesn't call me anything because he doesn't know that he has a mouth, but he will, and when he does, he will call me Mamere. And I want him to think, you know what, she's living a life that actually is making a difference for Jesus, because of Jesus, and and not just for myself. I, I, I don't want that for myself. What I want is for the people around me to be reminded that God is God. Everything that that encompasses Turn, if you will, to Exodus 32, 1 through 8. So the beginning is, Ge- is Genesis, and then the second book is Exodus. So 32. I feel like sometimes we're walking through our life, like whining and crying out of half of our mouth, and then speaking perfectly normal out of the other side, and like, like my daughter was doing. And when I was thinking about that, and I was reading through the Old Testament, God reminded me of the story of the golden calf. And so the Israelites are this group of people. They are referred to often as God's chosen people. So I don't know about you guys, but if, if you're a teacher's pet or something like that, like these, are, these guys are the teacher's pet, right? That's what's happening. They are like his absolute favorites at this time. And what he's, what he's saying is, look at how much I've cared for you. He talks about remembering all the time. And the Israelites misinterpret that that word remember as, um, you know, look back and, and, and keep your eye on Egypt. So what he's done is he actually, if you read through the first 31 chapters, you'll see these amazing things that, that God has done for his chosen people. He's done things like he's made food fall from the sky every single day. He makes the double portion fall on Saturdays so that they don't even have to get up. How many of you would really like to have a night where you're not in charge of cooking dinner? I would love that, you know? And so, like, if if it's going to fall from the sky, awesome. If I can gather double the amount on Saturday so I don't have to do anything on Sunday and just spend time with God, super awesome. And that's great to me. Then he did things like he brought them out of, or when they were in Egypt, he had all these terrible plagues. And when I say terrible, I mean they're horrible. They got to watch all those plagues happen to everybody else while they just stood there not enduring it, not having to deal with it. That's crazy. That would be, that kind of, that's like a supernatural thing that they've witnessed. And then... And then it's like supernatural after supernatural after supernatural. Water from a rock, that's in here. Walking across the, you know, the sea on dry land. He parts an actual river, that's in here. And they're coming off of all of this, and this is their response. So verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. So Moses is the one who's led them. God called him, and and, and he is the one who's led them. And he, 
he was a little bit nervous at first stepping out into that role. And he's like, I just, I just, I, I stutter and I just don't know if I'm the one who's able to do this. And uh, so God said, you can bring along your brother. So bro- his brother is Aaron. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. That's my own inflection. I imagine it as kind of whiny because, right. Um, they said, make us some gods that c- who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. I really love that they refer to him as this fellow Moses. And Aaron's, like, I think Aaron's like, my brother? Like, he was just here. You know who he is. You know, give me a break. Who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Almost like they're blaming Moses for being in this, in this freedom So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Like they're watching this happen, right? When the, (laughs) this is, that was sarcasm laughter. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, listen, oh Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's insane to me, you guys. I mean, God is asking them, remember all these things that I've done for you? And they're like, hey, I just made this thing, and this is what actually did it. That's, that, is, that comes across as certifiable is what that comes across to me, right? I mean, that is not, when we look at that from our perspective now, that doesn't make any sense. But when you're in it, we'll just wait. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, then announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. I mean, the people got up early the next morning. They sacrificed burnt offerings. They're, They're all of a sudden doing all of these things that seem really good when you look at them. That's what was happening. They needed some stuff in front of their eyes so they could say, this is why. This is why we're successful. This is why we're winning. This is why we're surviving. This is why we're here. This is what brought us out of Egypt. But that's not the truth, you guys. Moses was literally on the mountain talking to God on their behalf. And so what they're doing is they're like this fellow Moses. They're looking at Moses, right? But then they're like, okay, keep building that calf. And they're looking at Moses and they're like, I think this is going to work. And then they're like, okay, but everybody give your nose rings. And we're, we're looking at Moses and I really want this. And don't forget your earrings too. It'll be nice and big. And You guys, that's like crazy, right? I mean, that isn't how we are called to live as Christians. That is not actually standing on a firm foundation. God says, I have the Holy Spirit in me everywhere that I go. I'm the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ doesn't need a golden calf that I make with my own hands. That's not that, that's diminishing the power. That's diminishing what I'm saying out of this side of my mouth. It It actually, it amounts to nothing if I'm still doing this over here. And what it's like is, it's like I am, it's like God has taken us all out of Egypt, but we are refusing to let Egypt get out of us. We're still hanging on to that. We're keeping those old ways just in case. You know, like, like a, um, a magician or something. I've got this, this illusion going on over here, but I'm saying this is what I believe. And, you know, and, and I think that we do this a lot in our everyday lives. And it's like we're side glancing our backup plan all the time, just in case God doesn't turn out to be who he says he is. But I tell you what, the freedom, I was in the bathroom, so I don't know if you shared that same scripture. <laughs> Did you share that scripture about freedom? Okay. Did he? Did I already teach this? Just kidding. Um, so I don't even remember what the scripture was. Second Corinthians, something, something. 
Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Is it up there? You guys are good. (laughs) Where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And what Craig said was that it isn't just freedom for us. It's freedom so that God is able to be who he is because we have made room. We have said, we're letting all of this other stuff go. We're letting these fake calves go. We're letting this gold go. We're letting our, you know, our depending on our own way of making money go. We're letting our sins, we're letting our shame, we're letting our chains, we're letting our addictions, we're letting it go so that God has room to be God. And it's terrifying. I know it's terrifying. I, I, every day, every one of us has to agree to step into a place just like Peter and choose to be outnumbered. But here's the thing. We're not choosing to be outnumbered 16 enemies to one. I'm choosing, because I choose Jesus, what happens is the enemy says, we need more guards, we need more guards, we need more guards, because he sees the power of Christ inside of me. That's what each of us walk with. Each of you walks with that power. And if you don't, it's a choice. Sorry, but it's a choice. That's a choice that we make that we are not, that we choose to only halfway believe that God has something for us. We're looking up here, God has something for us, and we're making this little calf on the side. This meaningless means nothing. Actually, all it does is it gets in our way. It gives the enemy some kind of idea that he has some kind of power here. It's like leading him on, but that's not the relationship that I want to be in. We want God to do these amazing things for us, You know, and we cry out to him. Like out of one side of our mouth, we cry out, God, I just want a job where I can make a difference. Use me, Lord, use me. But then we join everybody in gossip or we steal from our company. And this might hurt a little bit. And I'm not, this isn't a personal attack, but like if you're taking equipment from your, from your job or making personal copies or using, you know, you're like hanging out on your phone while you're on the clock. Is that part of your job description? I don't know. I mean, maybe it is. Work for a church. You can do whatever you want when you work for a church. <laughs> Maybe. My nephew used to think, all, my brother's pastor, and my, my nephew used to think all he did was go to lunch and play racquetball. <laughs> Maybe it's true. <laughs> but, you know, like we're praying for this guy at our, at our work to be saved, and, and then he's watching us be just as crazy. Like he's watching us take post-it notes or he's watching us um, entertain gossip or he's watching us go for, you know, Friday night happy hour with, with everybody and we're like getting wasted on Friday nights and he's looking at us thinking, why? Why would I, why would I need to change? I don't need any of that. I'm watching you be two different totally people or two totally different people and you don't even know you're doing it. So um, that's not enticing. That isn't God's peace. That isn't God drawing him in, that's us, you know, kind of just functioning out there like these Israelites are. You know, we want, we say something like, God, bring me a godly spouse. And, and we will say, well, I'll never date somebody like that. I would never date somebody like that. And we shut him down instead of saying, God, who is it that you have for me? And, and, and or saying, Lord, what is it in me that you still need me to surrender so that I'm ready for whoever you bring along? Or we say, Lord, bless our marriage. And then we're so on our phones or we're so into whatever screen we're on or we're doing things in private or we're looking at things that actually start to evoke, you know, fantasies or things we're not supposed to be looking at. And all of that gets in the way of God blessing our marriage. And that's not something God's keeping from us. That's something that we are putting in the middle of our marriage. We're crying out of two sides of our mouth. You know, we could be praying for our marriage in the morning and then ruining at night 
by just whatever we're looking at in, in the shadows. That's not setting ourselves up for God to, to move. We say things like, God, raise my kids to be warriors for you. And, and all they see is, you know, we're down here on our phones. And what we're saying to our kids, you know, yeah, church is important. Yeah, relationships are important. Yeah, all that stuff is important. And we're just down here on our screens. And what that says to them without us ever saying anything is that you, I hear what you're saying, but what you're showing me is that everything here means more than everything here. And that's what they take with them. And that's what they take with them into relationships, in case you're wondering. Okay, so that's who, who they become because that's what's been modeled. Like the rest of the Egyptians, we've left that old life, but we allow this space for Egypt to hold residence in us. And then, and what it does is we allow the enemy to plant this little seed of either doubt or uh, temptation, some kind of temptation, because we are not, we are not, um, we're not white knuckling, protecting what God has given us, the marriage that God has blessed us with, the, the friendships, you know, the community, the, um, you know, caring for and, and serving in our church. I mean, that's part of protecting our, um, just like our day-to-day life. That is us choosing to come into this place and we, we grow when we serve. We grow when we're vulnerable. We grow when we say, yeah, I'm going to go to that small group. Yeah, I'm going to try that women's event, or I'm going to show up for prayer on Tuesday nights. When we choose to spend our time in all of those places, we grow in a different way. We are making room for God to plant in us. But when we, when we, we, we leave that stuff for just Sunday mornings, we leave all that church stuff for just Sunday mornings, and then we do all these other things that I was just saying, what happens is, we allow room for the, for the enemy. Uh, the church sometimes calls it a foothold. Or we leave this, this open dirt, right, for the devil to come in and plant a seed. And then what he does is he watches us. We, we like mull over that lie or we mull over that dirt or, you know, we're like constantly paying attention to it. And pretty soon we're like watering that thing. And then pretty soon it's like this shoot and we've got this whole dang tree of crazy town in between our relationship with whoever we've just asked God to bless us with. Right? And that's not, the, that's not spiritual warfare. That's not the enemy coming in. That's us. We're sitting here watering it. That's us, you know, adding to that little sprout until the devil's like, I don't even feel like I have to do anything. I think I can just hang out here and watch everyone be crazy. If, if, if the church at large keeps living like this, how many guards do you think that the enemy is going to need to place around us? I mean, does he even care that we are a church here planted in the middle of our city? I think he does. Quite frankly, I think he does. Which is why we have all these weird technical issues and odd things that happen. And, and, and I think he does because we've sent out people. I think he does because you guys show up every week. I think he cares that you guys leave changed. That you decide, I'm not leaving here without something. I'm going to fight until I leave here with something. I'm going to engage. I'm going to choose Or is he looking at us and he's saying, as long as they keep being crazy and wrapped up in their circumstances or trying to fit in with others, I can just sit back and let them convince the unsaved that it doesn't matter if they're Jesus followers. 
Is that the message that we're wanting to give? Because honestly, you guys, if we are not living the other way, if we are not living like every single day, every single opportunity that God gives us, every person he puts in front of us, if we're not living like that matters, if we're not saying, Holy Spirit, show us and then go and do the thing that he's asking us to see, if we're not doing that, then, then kind of we are sending that message. What we do doesn't matter. But that's not the truth. That's what the enemy thinks. He thinks that he doesn't need to change anything except to make sure that we are talking out of both sides of our mouth. As long as we continue to not really see our calling, as long as we continue to be confused about what God is capable in us, as long as we are continuously adding confusion to all of it by saying, I don't understand my identity, instead of finding a scripture to speak over ourselves every time we start to think that, then what we're doing is we're just giving him fertile ground, okay? We are in, you are exactly where God wants you. Right here, right now, you are exactly where God wants you and he wants to be in relationship with you. Whatever is behind you, okay, if it's not continuing, continuing to fuel your testimony for who God is, if it's not drawing other people to God, it gets to stay back there. Egypt gets to stay back there. We actually get to be a people who take from this day forward, we get to go into our city. We get to go into our work. We get to go into our schools. We get to go into our universities. We get to go into our homes. Start there, whoever you live with, start there and say, I'm here to make a difference. I'm here, I'm living a life so that other people may know that he is God. That's our whole goal. And I don't think God ever meant for it to be so confusing. And, and we don't always understand everything. Honestly, we read through some of this. I read through some of this and I'm all, man, we believe some weird stuff. <laughs> some weird stuff. But, and some crazy things have happened in history. But we know how to access God. And that's what he's asking. And so that's the first step that we get to take is accessing God. And we do that through his through his scripture. So if you'll turn, this is the last verse I'm going to read before we close. Uh, turn to 2 Chronicles 7, 12, 16. 2 Chronicles 7. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer. I've chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. I don't know about you guys, but I need some land restored in my life so much. We need land restored in our cities, in our schools. You guys, I teach sixth grade. It is weird. Our schools have gotten weird. Our, our community feels like it's gotten, everyone's like, oh, it's gotten so weird. It wasn't like this. You will be shocked if you read through history, actually. The scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. We experience everything that everyone else has come up against, that we, you know, we have the same temptations. There's, you know, evil has, has been the same ever uh, ever since the devil chose that route. But you know what else has been the same? Jesus Christ. Yesterday, today, forever means forever. For as long as time. Chapter or Verse 15 says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. You just have to make the prayer. 
That's what he's saying. For I've chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. We are that temple. Convo Church is set apart. I'm not saying that we're better than any other church. I'm saying our, that church, that God has called a church and we get to be part of that. He's called us to be set apart, not looking back, not talking out of both sides of our mouths. So I'm gonna pray right now. Um, if you guys will close your eyes. Lord God, you have stirred hearts. Holy Spirit, you are here and you are so real. I can just feel the weight of the Holy Spirit here. But we sang all these songs and we just were talking about, um, you know, wanting to, to be open and, and have the Holy Spirit come and bring revival. Lord, I don't wanna just be a people that talks out of the side of our mouth where we're saying, Lord, bring revival and we're hanging on to the stuff over here. So Father, I pray that you would just bring us back in align, alignment with you. Lord, that when, when we are looking up at that mountain, we don't even have time for anything else around us that we're able to discern because we know your face so well. We know your word and we know your words so well that we see that as a sham the second that it pops up in us. In our minds that we, we recognize doubt and we take those thoughts captive. We recognize um, lies from the enemy. We recognize where we are, we are tending to soil that was not meant to be tended for the, for the enemy's use. God, we just surrender all of that to you. If there's something specific in your heart right now, I just pray, Lord, teach us how to surrender those things. I'm just gonna ask if you guys have something in your heart that God has stirred up in you this morning, if you just, just have your hands in front of you and just open them up to God. You know that, that when we open our hands in prayer and we open our hands in worship, it's a two-way street. God gives things and he takes things away. And so Lord, we're asking that you would take away these things that we feel like we have to keep hanging on to. This is just a symbolic gesture that we are opening, we're surrendering something to you that we know we've been white knuckling, that we have no business hanging on to. Shame, identity, lies, doubt, wrong priorities, convictions that we refuse to entertain because you know we sometimes as a church we get affronted that any you know any kind of con condemnation would come on us or any you know any kind of of anyone telling us that we're not doing it right. Lord, I pray that we would just surrender that right now. We choose not to hang on to, well, it's my right. Instead, Lord, we choose to hang on to your hem. Lord, we're reaching out to you right now so that you will instead give us your peace that surpasses all understanding. We are choosing to live in your peace, to, to stand in the truth of your word. Lord, we are calling out these prayers and you know every heart that's in here right now. And I just pray that you would just meet us where we're at. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories, and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.